0: I'm Sarah and I'm Courtney and this is the dance better podcast
1: this is our platform to shed some light on the impact that ballet training has on the mental health of both current and former dancers together with some amazing
0: experts we're discovering what things dancers can do to help counteract some of those habits and
1: ideas that might not be serving them So keep listening to hear real stories from real dancers, mental health professionals, and many more to help you dance better. Hey everyone, this is Courtney. And today, Sarah and I spoke to Katrina Cowie. She is the founder and CEO of Different Drummer Dance, a studio and online education platform all about dancer wellness. She works to actively transform dance communities through inclusivity, positivity, and self-kindness.
0: Yes, and this episode was chock full of tips for all of our dance teachers and studio owners out there. Um, You guys, she shows us how to incorporate wellness techniques into our classes, so make sure that you listen with a notebook and a pen. I know I took tons of notes, and I know you will too. Uh, We do want to take a minute, though, to make sure that we mention to you guys that Courtney and I are not healthcare professionals, so anything you hear us say are just things from our lives, what worked, what didn't work things from our experience, and none of that should be considered medical advice. If any of the things we share resonate with you, we encourage you to talk to your doctor to find the best healthcare professional for you.
1: We also want to mention anything we say in this podcast is a reflection of our dance experience as a whole and not any one teacher, studio, or company. Secondly, the opinions shared by our guest in this episode are those of our guest and their personal experience from their individual viewpoint. Experiences and opinions shared, while cathartic, are also for a mutual purpose to aid in opening a dialogue about making experiences better for artists everywhere. Today was amazing, you guys. This was such an insightful conversation with Katrina, and we are so excited to share it with you. So here you go. Hello, hello, guys. How are you today? So um, we are here with Sarah and Katrina today. So how are you guys? Hi, I'm well, Courtney. How are you? Nice to see you and this is Katrina. Katrina, welcome yourself. How are you? Well, (laughs) thank you. I'm so
2: excited to be here.
1: Yeah, we're so excited to talk with you today. Oh, I've been I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time following you on social media. Um, And so I'm really excited to pick your brain a little bit today. Um, So if you would just go ahead and give us a quick rundown of your history in the dance world and kind of how your mental health evolved over that time a little little snapshot
2: if you will. Yeah sure. So hello again everybody. Uh, My name is Katrina Kohey. I'm the CEO of Different Drummer Dance which is both a dance studio here in upstate New York where I live and an online education platform for dancers and teachers and studio owners that is dedicated to providing education and resources and awareness on dancer wellness, as well as integrating dance technique and training with wellness principles like mindset and positive self-talk and body positivity. So, yeah, that's kind of my my job now. Um, But like so many of us in the dance world, you know, it's been kind of a winding path. (laughs) Um, Full of ups, lots of ups and downs and twists and turns. Um, so I grew up in Northern California, actually, I'm a California girl originally, and I started training with the RAD syllabus fairly early. Um, I did all of the RAD exams, you know, growing up as a small, small kid all the way up to their advanced two, um, exam. And then eventually a little bit later on, I did their CBTS training, their Certificate in Ballet Teaching Studies, Um, and I kind of, after high school, I bounced around a lot from college to college. Um, I never did like the straight four years (laughs) right out, out of high school. Um, and as I was like trying to figure out my footing with college, um, I was also dancing in San Francisco. Um, I danced for about three to four years with the San Francisco Conservatory of Dance. Um. And also during that time, I got into Spanish and flamenco dancing. So I actually danced in a Spanish and flamenco company for about four years, which was wonderful and amazing and such a total departure from my that early That is so holidays. cool. I know. I, I love, love that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I'd like to drop that one in because I feel like I'm a little bit of a black sheep, like nobody really... Um, expect <laughs> to hear that from me, so it's nice to kind of just drop that in, like, yeah, I was I danced in a flamenco company, like I was this total <laughs> bunhead, you know, as a as like a growing a growing art sure. dancer, I and mean, it was a total,
1: yeah.
2: um, just a total one hundred and eighty. But it was wonderful for so many different um, reasons. Um, so yeah, I I danced with a flamenco company for three to four years, um, and that whole time that I was dancing and you know trying to figure out the college thing. I was also teaching and doing some side hustles with dance. Um, I finally finished my degree in dance at Cal State East Bay. When I finished my degree that really started to open my eyes to different perspectives as far as diversity and inclusion in the dance community and industry. Um, and then a few years after I finished my degree, my husband and I moved to upstate New York, which is where we are now. He's from um, the town where we live now. And that's really when um, I started different drummer dance because that at that point I was like, well, I'm halfway across the country in a completely <laughs> new place. I might as well try something completely new. Um, yeah. so that's kind of the short version of how I got here.
1: <laughs> I love that though. What a, what a nice, um, I mean, so many experiences that helped you. I'm sure all of that perspectives and um, influence wisdom came and I'm sure is, a, you know, it's all a piece of what you're doing today. So that's really cool to have such, yeah. so much, so many different pieces coming into your, that next phase. We've interviewed so many former dancers and I mean, even our
0: health, mental health experts, Um, that we've had on and our nutrition experts, they've all been former dancers. And I don't think we've definitely never had anyone who was professional (laughs) flamenco dancer. So I think that's a really, I think it's really interesting and so cool for um, your platform that you're able to not just target one specific dance style, but just kind of like a more broad view of the dance world. I think that's really cool.
2: Yeah, it it's one of those things that when you're doing it, like when you're living it, it feels like a hot mess. But then later, yeah. when you have some some perspective, right? It's yeah. like, oh, okay, I see how that thing led me to this thing. Mm-hmm. And because I mean, I this. Doesn't now, everything you know, feel like a hot mess when in well, the moment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right now, 2020, <laughs> 2021. Like knows, right? like five years from now, we'll look back on this time and be like, oof.
0: Yeah. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you for giving us that rundown. I wanted to kind of start right away getting into your platform and what inspired you to start incorporating dancer wellness at your studio. Can you tell us how that sort of came together?
2: Yeah. So mostly it it was that I recognized that wellness skills were something I needed as a dancer and as a teacher. um, I've dipped in and out of therapy for years that, you know, that all kind of culminated, me going to therapy, culminated with, you know, when I was dancing and teaching full-time and professionally, just realizing like this lifestyle that I had created for myself wasn't sustainable. um, And that I really needed, I needed help and I needed tools to figure out how to better manage all of you know the stress and um, disordered eating and anxiety and then depression, all of those things that are so common for um, everybody, but especially within dance, right? Like it's like anxiety, depression, body image, all of that stuff is very, I feel like it's got a very niche kind of feel mm-hmm. and sense to it when you're a dancer. Yeah. Um, so it was realizing that I still needed more of that. Like I had dipped in and out of therapy um, and I had tools that were helping me um, but I realized that I, I still had more work to do um, and I was you know I was now in upstate New York where I didn't necessarily have the access the same access that I had had in California to those services um, so it was one kind of an attempt to help myself because um, I know I knew that I still had more work to do Um, But then also, like, as I started doing that work, as I started giving myself these tools and doing the work again, I realized how much other dancers and other teachers needed this work and how impactful it could be if we incorporated it into our classes and training. Um, To me, there was a very clear correlation, like, oh, I'm healing this thing that happened when I was, like, 16 years old in dance class, like... How great would it have been if I had had this tool when I was 16 or how great would it have been when if I had somebody, you know, a dance teacher when I was younger, like help me figure this out. So it was kind of a mix of those two things, really like still doing the work myself, needing more tools myself and realizing that other dancers, other teachers needed them. And also seeing it in my students too, the the students that I teach here, um, you know, who would be shy or, you know, like make little comments about their bodies or about other bodies or about their abilities. So it was just kind of an alignment of all of those things. And it was like, oh, okay, there's, there's a need for this. Like, this is a thing. That's
0: wonderful. So how did you start? How did you start? Like, I can imagine as both being a a studio owner myself and then also all the years that I spent as an employee or contractor whatever you want to call it um how did you start did you like gather all of your teachers together and say hey guess what we're doing this or (laughs) what did that look like
2: well really it was just it was me um and my computer and just like typing out ideas and notes and then I was like you know what I'm gonna to make a course like I'm just gonna like put some stuff together I'm gonna put together some affirmations and some of these other tools that I've used that have helped me and I'm gonna throw them together in a course and see if people like it um and I so I'm in such a small area in New York that I'm the only teacher so I as much as I would love to be like hey staff you're gonna do this <laughs> yeah which is yeah. actually kind of I'm sure a blessing in this sense because I didn't have anybody resisting or being like, yeah, sure,
0: having their own (laughs) mental baggage along with all of it. Yeah, I can imagine that could be a challenge potentially.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. Um, So that in itself was a blessing. It was just like, nope, this is something I'm going to experiment with offering to other teachers and something that I'm going to experiment putting into practice in my own classes. And then it, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have to ask for permission. I didn't have to, you know. I was just like, okay, I'm doing this thing. Here it is. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna see how it goes. Yeah,
1: fantastic. That's so, that's so awesome. So, um, getting into getting into what, dun dun dun. Um, as far as what does that look like? What those pillars of dancer wellness are, kind of defining them, and then why those are so important for all of us to keep in mind.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So at the Dancer Wellness webinar that I did recently, which you attended, which was wonderful. Thank you for being there. Um, So in that webinar, um, I talk about the three pillars of dance wellness. And for me, I've identified them as being gratitude, body kindness, and adaptive perfectionism. Um, And in the webinar, I also kind of give this visual, because I'm definitely like a visual and a metaphor person, as dancer wellness kind of being like that iceberg, right? Like you see the top of the iceberg and it's so beautiful and, you know, we can appreciate it, but really there's so much more bulk underneath the water that we don't see. So there might be things that people can easily recognize or that they've heard of that they associate with dancer wellness, things like you know, maybe Pilates or weight training or Epsom salt baths and massage, which are all wonderful things. Like those are great. I love me a massage and Epsom salt bath. (laughs) But there's really so much more to it. There's things, you know, that we don't necessarily talk about or even acknowledge things like mindset and body image and, Um, inclusivity and diversity and having other interests and injury prevention and rest and recovery, like nutrition, there's all of these things that really mm -hmm. when you combine them, when you put them all together, that ideally is kind of what encompasses dancer wellness. Um, But because that's such a big, you know, that's a lot of things. I like to start with those three things with gratitude, body kindness, and adaptive perfectionism. Um, and those are kind of the three concepts that I really that I start with, whether it's a a class or a workshop or in the online courses that I teach, um, because I find that those three things are kind of like like gateway drugs, but I mean that in the best sense of the word. Like I totally get that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as in like like they're easy, they're accessible, they're digestible, they're not going to turn people off or make people feel triggered or like they can't do this work. Because a lot of times with these wellness topics, you know, things like body image, how we talk about ourselves, diversity, um, they can be triggering topics. They're not just, you know, it's not like necessarily a conversational topic. Like, hey, you know, tell me how you feel about your body. Do you love your body, like? I mean, anybody would probably get like, uh, you know, like deer in the headlights, Mm -hmm. but dancers, Mm -hmm. because we have so much baggage, because we have, you know, inevitably experiences and histories, we like, will just shut straight down. Right. And then, then the perspective isn't open. The eyes aren't open. The heart isn't open. So it's hard to get past that point. But if we start with things like Gratitude, like that's a really user-friendly topic, you know, no matter where you are in your journey with your body or whatever, you know, mental health challenges you might have. um, That's something that we can all kind of lean into. We can all, you know, start to lean into being grateful for, you know, the house that we have, clean water, access to food, food um, good music to dance to, like those little things, you know, that we tend to take for granted, you know, starting with those is just like, it's an easy entryway, which is why I kind of call it like a a gateway drug, right? Yeah, (laughs) that makes total sense. Once you dip your toes in, then you can start to be a little bit more open and aware of all of the other, all of the other topics, like body, body positivity, body kindness, all of, all of that other stuff. Um, so yeah, did that, did that answer your question? I feel like I'm, yeah, no, definitely,
1: absolutely, Um, I'm curious, um, so, I mean, talking about um, the gratitude, yes, and the body kindness, can you explain a little bit um, about adaptive perfectionism, and what that is, because that's something that I only recently kind of like only recently was the first time I'd even heard that term.
0: But I mean, I the, this right that's... here is the first time I've heard it, and my real
2: ears yeah. perked
1: up. I was like, "What is this? Tell me yeah. more!" very so you excited to hear about
2: closer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you elaborate a little bit on that? Because it's, I think, so so wise and so so jaw droppingly, eye openingly useful. Sorry, I'm going to stop it now.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this is a topic that I really love to learn more about and speak about and um, talk about because, yeah, that, it's usually that reaction. is like, that's a thing. Like, we're allowed to do that. Um, yes, <laughs> so yes, can, yes. Yeah, it can open up a lot of other really interesting conversations. Um, but, yeah, so adaptive perfectionism is the idea that we can still encourage Um, the excellent training of dance that we need and we can focus on goals and we can be really motivated and strive for excellence, right? Um, We can do that and still leave the not so, we can leave the not so healthy parts of perfectionism behind. So things like Obsessive thinking, obsessive practicing, you know, to the point of injury, obsessive eating or not eating, um, comparison, all of those things that we have all experienced as dancers or we've seen our students experience that we know aren't necessarily healthy, but we're not quite sure how to extract one without the other. Because you do have to strive for excellence in the dance world, and we want that, right? We want to teach our dancers discipline and commitment, all of those things that we love so much about dance are absolutely possible to keep while still being mindful that we don't need the things like obsessing over the mirror and what we look like or comparing ourselves to this other dancer in class or that dancer on Instagram. So it's finding ways to keep all the good, and let out all the trash, all of the garbage. Um, so it really comes down to training our brains to think and respond differently to all of the things that normally happen in class or in rehearsal and then performance. It just takes time and effort and awareness. I,
0: I've been writing all this down. I'm taking notes copiously already. <laughs> we just started. Um, but one one concept that I've been thinking about a lot lately is, um, you know, we've talked to other. Other guests before about modeling good behavior in the studio as a teacher or as a an owner, um, but one point that you know you kind of always have to keep in mind is that kids will see what you're doing and that's great, but they also they're humans and they're their own person, and they're going to make assumptions and sometimes those assumptions there's a huge disconnect uh, between what you mean and what they what they're interpreting the information as so how can we take, uh, what are some practical ways then that you're implementing this um, adaptive perfectionism so that you are encouraging excellence, which I'm totally on board with? Um, are you using affirmations? Like, are you saying things to make sure they, they fully understand your meaning? How are you avoiding that kid assumption of um, perfectionism that could potentially go the other way?
2: Yeah. Yeah. it's a really great question. Um, I think it's a couple things. I think a big part of it is mindfulness, like on our own parts as teachers is being mindful of the language that we're using, of the image that we're portraying, like, mm-hmm. and even simple things like what kind of magazines or posters we have hanging around the dance studio. Yes. Like, what message is that saying? Right. And it's so, yeah. it's things that we don't even think about, like, Dance magazine is here. Dance spirit is here. And not at all that I'm, I'm not trying to point fingers or say that these things are good or bad. It's just being aware, like being a Mm sense, bringing a sense of awareness to what students are seeing and how they might interpret things. And then when you have that mindfulness also being super, super clear, like again, Mm -hmm. with your language, um, you know, when you're saying something as simple as like, suck in your stomach, is that really what you mean? Or do you mean engage your core? Like, again, there's so many things that are just trickled down in the dance world that we've heard and heard and heard, you know, suck in your stomach, tuck your tail, all of these things, which, okay, yeah, like, I know what it means, because I grew up hearing it. But what you really mean is engage your core, what you really mean is lengthen your tailbone. Uh You know, when we are talking about costumes, or how we're fitting in it, you know again being clear about what you mean and what the kids are picking up on yeah Um, and then as far as you know actually implementing those things like how to practice those things and put them into action for me it's it's a a combination of a lot of things. Um, it is definitely things like affirmations and mantras. You know, when I'm giving feedback or corrections to a student, sometimes I just say it in affirmation form. Like if I can tell that they're struggling, not getting a double pirouette or something, I'm going to choose to say, okay, focus on the progress, not the perfection. I don't mm-hmm. always need to give like your spot needs to be better or you're not on your leg. Some Sometimes they know that they just need to hear it reframed in a yeah. different way. So yeah, yeah, it can be affirmations, it can be mantras, it can be, you know, like we talked about gratitude a little bit earlier, helping your students to tune into gratitude if they're having a day where you, you know, they're looking at themselves in the mirror and you can tell that they're not happy or you're you catch them saying not so healthy, loving things about their bodies, like having them do a body scan or having them write down five things they're grateful that their body did for them today. It can really be multifaceted. And hopefully... That's what, you know, dancer wellness does evolve to be. It doesn't have to be just something that we practice for an hour and a half in class, but it can be, yeah. you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that so that the students can go home and then keep thinking about these things, keep practicing these things. Um, and I like to... to I like to kind of think about it as like a ripple effect. Like even if you do one thing, you drop one stone in the water, it creates these ripple effects that go on until you can't see them anymore, but they're still there. So even if you just gave a student one affirmation or one Mm -hmm. mantra, or you did a body scan, um, and you focused on gratitude, one thing, it's going to have those ripple effects. So, Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So what kind of changes have you seen, um, First of all, how long have you been implementing these types of techniques with your students? Yeah. And what kind of changes are you seeing? I'm so excited.
2: Yeah, it is really exciting. It's really fun to see those changes happening because, you know, as much as we want them to happen overnight, they rarely do. (laughs) But when you start to see them, it's it's really exciting. Um, I want to say that I started using some of these techniques maybe like, probably around eight years ago or so when I was, well, maybe more like five. Um, But really, as I mentioned earlier, when I, when I finished my degree and when I had really done some digging in as far as like, you know, pedagogy and dance pedagogy specifically, as well as combining that with all of like my own therapy experience. Um, So I want to say I was still in California when I started that, like I started watching my language. More. I started, you know, changing the way that I gave feedback and corrections. And then really about three years ago, when I moved to upstate New York and started different drummer dance, that was kind of like it, like I really I turned the heat up on it. <laughs> um, I, love and I, I started, yeah, I started adding even more. Um, and as far as the changes that I see in my students, I mean, I I'm thinking of one of my dancers in particular who came to me um I think she was like seven when she started super shy little girl and um, like loved to dance, but had no interest in like performing and didn't really even want to like do a combination without me. Like I would have to dance the whole thing with her. Um, She was just super shy, super self-conscious. And now she, I mean, she's been dancing with me for like three years now and it's just the change in her is amazing like and part of that is like she's growing up and becoming you know her own yeah feeling Mm -hmm. out her own personality but you know I don't hear her say bad things about herself anymore like when we do a combination and if she doesn't get it the first time it's not like it's you you can see them crumple sometimes right like you can see them just come in on themselves I don't see that Anymore, she like she she we break it down. She she gets it. She tries again. It's this mindset of like, okay, I didn't get it the first time. No big deal. Like moving on. Let's keep going. So yeah, it's just it's so encouraging to see, which just makes me want to talk about this stuff even more.
1: Yeah, I (laughs) bet that's a huge inspiration. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sitting over here with goosebumps. I mean, I know you're saying that's just one example, like, but I think it's like brings a sense of hope and things. I think some teachers. If they aren't familiar with dancer wellness, the idea of incorporating it might be overwhelming. And is it really going to be that different? Like we know in theory, this should be helpful because it's everything we wanted back when we were students, but to be on the other side of seeing that in real life, how it's really affecting these children who are going to become adults and like it's ripple effect for for their children. It's, it's so crazy and cool and inspiring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So I
0: have a question. So you grew up with within the RAD structure. Um, so in your own school, are you teaching RAD? And the reason why I'm asking is that um, it seems like you are really encouraging dancers to uh, find find their artistic expression and things like that. Um, do you use a dress code? Do you have, are, like, are you staying within that RAD dress code and things like that? Or are you kind of coming up with your own thing? Is that part of the studio culture? How does that work?
2: Yeah, so I, I the school, our studio right now is not, we don't do exams, none of that mm-hmm. stuff. It's not like a, a specifically RAD curriculum syllabus school. I do take a lot of, um, of inspiration for yeah. LA classes from sure. the RED syllabus because I still have all the syllabus books and I think yeah. it's wonderful training. Like I love yeah, RED training. I think I think the method of it is really solid and a wonderful foundation. So I mm-hmm. love and appreciate it and want to pass it on. But yeah. I it's not like my the the one and only thing. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of freedom as far as other things that I bring into class to teach. Um, As far as dress code, there's structure, but freedom within the structure, if that makes any sense. So there is dress code, right? Like ballet shoes and um, leotards and tights that, you know, kids feel comfortable in that match skin tone. I'm not at all particular about like you have to have this specific color leotard you have to have this specific color tight um and really even in my in my handbook there's a blurb in there about like dancers are encouraged to wear what makes them feel feel comfortable so if a child is non-gender conforming and they want to come in in shorts and a shirt cool I would rather have them be there and be yeah comfortable and enjoy the experience of dance Mm than not come at all and have a bad experience and go out into the world hating dance and movement in their body
1: yeah Yeah. that's awesome yeah that's awesome i love that (laughs) i i love hearing all about the i mean like explaining all of how you're bringing that in incorporating all of these things i'm curious as far as the body kindness if we go back to that you you know, you're talking about like, even in your dress code, you're including like there, this is coming through in so many different avenues in your studio. So how are you addressing body kindness in this, in the classroom with, you know, obviously ballet being on some level an aesthetic form and body kindness when you're working with students, especially like in those teenage years where bodies are literally changing all the time. How do you address that with your students?
2: I really like to start it young, so I will. I'll tell this story, which is kind of heartbreaking, but I'm sure fairly common. And this happened just in the in the past fall, so a few months ago. But we were we were getting back at dance class. This was our first in person dance class since you know everything shut down in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and everybody's excited. Everybody's coming to class. We're getting ready to go. And I had a mom pull me aside, and she said. You know, my kid just had a meltdown. She didn't want to come to class because she put on her leotard and said that she, she felt fat. She looked fat. And this dancer was six years old. So, I know, jaw drop, hearts break, all oh of my the goodness. Thing. Yeah. And actually, like, it's heartbreaking, but it's also not surprising because I've read lots of other research and data that shows that kids start diets, girls specifically, start diets as young as 10. And that's yeah. not even considering I've heard normal.
0: eight, even. Yeah.
2: That's yeah. not even considering like dance world, right? That this is just kind of like wow. general. Um, so, heartbreaking, but not surprising, which is why I like to start the body kindness tools and strategies. Like from the get-go, three years old, four years old, like it's not too young at all. And the way that I focus on it starting at that young age is that we really focus on shape and sensation over aesthetic. So if we're teaching conceptually, then, you know, we're focusing on, can you make a circle shape? Like, what does this shape look like? What does this shape feel like? Do you feel long? Do you feel stretchy? Do you feel, you know, do you feel curled up? Like we're using that sensory kind of, you know, the sensory type of engagement and also with our language and... I, I don't use a lot of mirrors with the young kids, to be honest, um, nice. because when they don't really need it. Like they mm-hmm. love it, right? The little ones love getting in the mirror and twirling around and that's fun. But at a certain point it becomes a little, a little, like the word that comes to mind is creepy because they get so like, you know, yeah. so mm-hmm. into it. Um, And I'm all for, like, the fun of it, and I want to encourage, like, yeah, it's fun to look at yourself, it's fun to play dress up, like, there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't want that to turn into the obsessive, this is all about how I look, my tummy is bigger than her tummy, and the leotard type deal, so we really focus on shape and sensation. Um, another conversation or another piece of feedback that I'm always giving with the young dancers is about muscles and do your muscles feel strong? Are you, are you engaging your muscles when you jump? Can you have strong muscles? Can you have loose muscles? Um, So that kind of conceptual base with the young ones, I feel like lays a really strong foundation for when they get to those preteen and teen years. So, and because I, you know, I've been doing this for a for a few years now, I've been able to see how that transition works. And it does work. (laughs) Um, When we start with it early, you know, then they do become preteens who, who aren't thrown off course as much if, if they're having a bad body day, or if they are, they know that it's just one day and they know that they can talk to me about it, or they know that they can, that they have tools that they can use to realize that it's it, that's just the way that it is today like bod it's okay that bodies change that's what they do aren't we grateful that they change like how weird it would it be if you were a 16 year old with a 6 year old's body like it would be yeah. weird and creepy right so, <laughs> um, yeah i it's yeah to me it really just it comes down to starting some of those starting some of these wellness techniques and strategies early things like mindset about helping them reframe their thoughts reframe you know the things that they say about themselves when they when they look in the mirror when they're you know alone chatting together in the dressing room all of those are moments and opportunities for us to kind of shift their perspective and give them another way to another choice really
0: yeah I love that it just kind of redirects their attention away from
1: the destruction <laughs> and, and and literally just giving them the other option, like you're talking about. I mean, just as far as I mean, you mentioned earlier, like having magazines out or what posters are on your wall, giving them permission in a sense to feel a different way about their body that's different than probably the message they're receiving quite a number of places, even at a young age. Yeah, um, and it and
0: it works, it works for boys too. I don't know if you currently have boys at your studio, but. I can't tell you how many schools I've worked at that I go in and there's these amazing posters on the wall, but there are no dancers of color. There are no boys. There are no dancers of different shapes and sizes. I mean, it's always the same poster of, you know, a wonderful dancer, you know, that it's a rainbow, it's a spectrum. Like there's so many different ways you can be a good dancer. There's not just one. So I think that messaging is, is so important. I just wonder um, what kind of response you've gotten from parents. I mean, I can't imagine it's all, I, I can't imagine it's all been great, but um, I'm just really fascinated by this concept because you don't see it often mm-hmm. um, in the neighborhood studio. So what have your parents been saying? Have they noticed?
2: Yeah, they have noticed. Um, and I want to say the majority of them, I'm going to say 90% of them love it. They are all about it. Like, you know, this, the story that I just told not too long ago about the mom who shared with me that her, daughter, her six-year-old daughter felt fat. Like, I mean, one, I was so glad that I knew exactly what to do. In that class, like okay, yeah. we are not using mirrors, we are focusing on strong muscles and you know how awesome our bodies can be to jump and to leap and to do all these things. Like I knew exactly what to do, and the mom knew that I knew exactly what to do because you know I lay this all out in our handbook. Like this is very clearly you know what these classes are about, what they can expect when they come to a class that I teach. And the parents are all on board because they know that, you know, that this unfortunately is the world that we live in where kids as young as six feel bad about their bodies, feel shame about their bodies, feel like their bodies should be different. Um, you know, that there's bullies at school that are mean about abilities or bodies. And so they know, they, they get it because their kids are coming home and reporting these things. So they love and appreciate that they can send their kid to dance class and know that they're getting not only dance, but they're getting other tools that are going to help them stay healthy and be healthy in dance class, in school, you know, at home, in relationships, whatever. Um, And, you know, the other 10%, I think, to put it bluntly and fairly, just don't get it. And that's okay. Sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's, it's not like I start every season or every class by, like, Preaching about the evils of you know of not doing this—that's not that's not my my style sure. at all. It's just I am very open and very clear about why I incorporate this work. And mm-hmm. for the parents who don't get it, they they just don't get it, and that's fine. I'm not going to force it on them. Um, and if it makes them super uncomfortable, I I would like to think that they would say something, or they would ask me a question, um, or they would just you know opt out which i don't think has happened not to my knowledge anyways um but for those parents it's just like eh, okay whatever like you know and they go on their merry way and it's just it's not here nor there it's just like it's not yeah. like not speaking their language so they don't quite understand and that's they just fun. don't engage yeah, yeah with it so much a, yeah,
1: yeah yeah neutral sense. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. cool you have your webinars and we'll, we'll ask you to plug anything um, here at the end of the episode. Have you thought about bringing this more on a national scale or like trying to like take what you're doing and package it to, to other studios? I think you have some programs that do that. Can you um, explain kind of a little bit about that? I know currently in COVID things are potentially making it weird, but um, what does that look like for teachers who are listening, who are ready for that? Like, okay, how do I do it though? (laughs)
2: yeah 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 I would love to have like world domination, dance wellness, world dominate. <laughs> that is definitely a goal of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but until I get there, until the world is ready for that, um, so I teach. I, I have courses online that um, teachers can sign up for and purchase, and you know, do at their own pace. Which has, um, you know, it has several different modules that take them through some of those pillars that I talked about, um, and gives them activities and conversations, um, kind of everything that they need to start this work with their own classes and with their own dancers. Um, I also do workshops, which I used to do in person, sadly, not so much anymore. Um, there are, you know, I've done workshops through COVID that, but they've all obviously been virtual ones. Um, so we set up like a workshop with students where I come in and, you know, we talk and we move and we have conversations and we do worksheets and kind of all sorts of fun stuff. Um, And I also have a membership program um, specifically for dance teachers and studio owners who are ready to like implement this work now. So the nice thing about the membership is that there's a new topic of dancer wellness every month. So if you're someone who's really like raring to go and you want to put this information like into your classes right now, then the membership is nice because... You can do that. Like that's what the materials every month are for. So every month is a new set of um, materials on a new topic. Um, I show you how to implement them, and then you keep building. So you're kind of building your own toolkit for dancer wellness, um, and it just kind of keeps building on top of each other. So you you've got this arsenal of all of these techniques and strategies that you can use, and you can keep evolving with them and add your own in. And then you know it's it's nice because you feel like you've got this whole body of work now to support you as you continue to practice dancer wellness and, and all of that stuff. So hopefully between those three, eventually we'll get to world domination.
1: (laughs) I love that. And honestly, I mean, just even providing that platform for them to take the guesswork out of it and just plug and chug because especially right now with COVID, there's like an extra layer of stress going on in studios which yeah. makes implementing new programs, like the idea of doing that by yourself, I'm sure. I say I'm sure. I I might assume that that might feel daunting to some. Um, but at the same time, all that stress that teachers and studio owners are feeling about COVID, those dancers are feeling that same, you know, that same additional stress that they're experiencing in their day-to-day life right now at the studio. So perhaps it's even more important <laughs> to really get um, some of that, those tech those techniques, those ideas implemented into your day-to-day. So oh, I love all that.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am always going to be like an advocate that this needs to be work that you're prioritizing. But right now, it's just, I mean, these poor kids are like on the computer all day long. They have no sense of like, like their sense of structure is just completely flipped upside down, not to mention things are stressful, they're not seeing their friends, they might be concerned about family members, you know, all of those things, those touchstones of normalcy are all gone for them. So in cases like this, like, and when I talk about this topic to other teachers, I always bring up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I'm not sure if either of you are familiar with it, but Maslow was this um, a psychologist and he one of the things that he proposed was that humans have this like scale of needs it's like a pyramid and up at the very top of the pyramid is self-actualization which is like the highest level where we're like functioning on you know our highest level all all cylinders are firing everything is great but before we get there like if we don't have our shelter needs met if we're not sure where our next meal is coming from if we don't feel safe in the space where we're at, then there's no way we're going to be able to function on that highest level. And right now, a lot of our students are on that lower level. Like, they don't necessarily feel safe. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know when school's going to come back. They might have a teacher or a friend or somebody who's sick. Like, they don't have that sense of stability. So they literally, like, psychologically, physically cannot come to dance class and focus the way that we are used to them doing. So yeah. it's hard, right? Because as teachers, we, we want to keep going in business as usual. And, you know, that would make us feel better. But our students physically, mentally can't mm-hmm. do that right now. We
0: have to manage the expectation.
2: Oh, absolutely. And that's a whole yeah. other, like I could, I could <laughs> do that for a long time too. Um, yeah, so, you know, in cases like that where we've dropped down on that on that Maslow pyramid, then, you know, we do have to use things like social emotional learning. We do have to focus on the wellness skills because once we kind of get those back under our, under our belts, then we can start kind of getting back to normal. But if you're just, you know, logging on to dance class and expecting that it's going to be business as usual and your students are sitting there like not, you know, they, they can't, it's not that they don't want to, they like physically, mentally can't. So the muscle has atrophied. Yeah. 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 So instead of like doing the same thing harder and expecting, you know, different results, like take a step back, try some, try some of these wellness skills, try a, you know, a body scan, try making a gratitude list, like just let them talk with each other and Once we do that, then they'll be able to climb their way back up that pyramid and and start to dance and engage in the way that, you know, I know we want them to.
1: Yeah. So that, that managing of expectations, especially right now. I mean, I know you said you, we can talk a whole, we do a whole episode on that right now, but that's where like all those things about body kindness are so crucial because there's so much that is changing and a like you know especially if you're thinking about like a pre-professional dancer there's so much that they're trying to manage right now during this time of not being able to dance and exercise in the ways they're used to and their their whole regimen's a little wonky right now yeah, um, absolutely yeah okay so wrapping up today we kind of our last little, little question here um I know this isn't exactly applicable to where you are right now because you are the teacher and you are doing, doing those things to help your students. If you think back on your own experiences or even, you know, what you've seen, read, heard, learned um, recently, for the students who are in potentially a, a program where they don't have that kind of support, their only experience right now is potentially the negative perfectionism and those kinds of things. If there's potentially a funky environment. Um how how do you suggest that they go about that?
2: Yeah. yeah and how do cool.
1: parents
0: support them and advocate for them too? Because a lot of times kids may not feel safe addressing mm-hmm. their teacher, obviously. We want them to stay respectful, but within that that really strict hierarchy of the pre-professional program, how do we uh open the dialogue between the parents and the the teachers and the students in that atmosphere where it's just not super healthy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Those are great questions. Um, I think I would break it down really into two suggestions and two steps, both for dancers, you know, pre-professional, any kind of dancer and parents or anybody who's, you know, hopefully advocating um, for dancers or for a better kind of healthier change. Um, One, the first one is to be curious. And when I say curious, I mean, like mindful, but without the judgment. So like if a dancer is going into a program for a first time, you know, bringing a sense of mindfulness and curiosity can be a really powerful asset. It might not feel like it. It might feel like, huh, like my really curiosity, how is that gonna help me? But just noticing things like, again, what kind of language teachers are using? What are the attitudes around the classroom and the studio? Like what kind of vibe are they getting from the other dancers or the admin, um, the teachers? Because our spidey senses will go off, right? And tell us if there's some sort of game afoot. So, really tuning into that and being curious and being willing to hear and see those red flags um, is a big one. Because, and even, and it's hard because even if we do see or hear a red flag, we don't want to acknowledge it, like you said, because it brings up all of this discomfort, right? And then there's also the responsibility of, like, oh, I have to do something now. <laughs> like, now I actually have to, like, put the pedal to the metal and do something. Um, and that can be uncomfortable. But that's why the second point is important, which is thinking critically. Um, so asking after you've got the curiosity part, right? like asking critical questions like, who's benefiting from this policy? Or do I feel safe and taken care of in this program? Or does this program represent my values as a parent, as a dancer? Asking those questions, again, with curiosity are important ones because the answers will tell us what to do next. And it might not be comfortable answers or actions, but usually they are right in line with what's best for our health and well-being. Um, hmm. And the nice thing too about that curiosity and the critical thinking combination is that they can be done respectfully. Like you can be curious and mindful with, without like pointing fingers or being judgmental or getting angry, um, and you can ask questions critically again with still being respectful um you know not like trying to cross any boundaries or be disrespectful just having an open and discerning mind and again being willing to like see things for what they are at face value and trusting those spidey senses Um, and the other possibility too is when you bring that curiosity and those that critical thinking um, to programs or to classes or directors or admin, if you, if you bring them up in that curious kind of, you know, critical thinking type way, there's also the possibility that that might be the kick in the pants that that director or that admin needs to be yeah. like, oh, I never thought about it that way. I'm going to change that now. Or, you know, so it. It's nice because when you use those tools, you're advocating not only for yourself or your dancer, if you're a parent, but mm-hmm. for all dancers and for all students, which yeah. we want.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, a point, it's an important point to mention, too, that if you feel like you've um, asked yourself these questions honestly and answered them honestly, and you've um, approached the powers to be, so to speak, with curiosity, without judgment and it's not received well, then yeah. perhaps that's not the right place to be. Perhaps those people shouldn't be teaching children, in my opinion. You know, so I think that's, that's really critical that you're honest with yourself enough to go, okay, well, this isn't the right place for me or for my child. Or, yeah. And for professional dancers, this is not the right company for me. Yeah. And it's
2: hard because those truths, those realities are hard because like I said, then that means, okay, now you're responsible for the action. You're responsible for the next step. Like if you bring a point that's concerning to you and the director of the company organization isn't, they're like, whatever, like, okay, that's your answer, but it's uncomfortable, right? Now we have Mm -hmm. to actually like, now, find another school, school or right. yeah, Which, yeah, again, is where like the wellness skills come in because at that point you have a choice, right? If, if the choice becomes I stay or I go at this company that really doesn't feel in line with my values, that I don't feel like they have my well being in mind, if you choose to stay, then you know what you're going to get because they just told you, mm-hmm. they do, you all mm-hmm. the evidence you need is right there. If you choose to go. Then it becomes, you know, then that mindset kicks in. Then it's like, okay, I'm resilient. I'm going to figure this out. Like, I have plenty of abilities and smarts and support to be able to figure out the next step, even though this is not what I planned for. So, oh, yeah, circle. (laughs) Oh, I love that. So good. This has
0: been a fantastic conversation. And I know that I'm going to come up with 20 more questions as I'm trying to fall asleep (laughs) tonight. So do you have any final thoughts for us as we kind of start to, to wrap up our conversation?
2: Um, you know, just, well, thank you one for being willing to have (laughs) these conversations. I mean, these, you know, having these conversations is kind of all where it starts. So I appreciate so much the platform to be able to chat with you both about it and hopefully reach some other dance educators and teachers. Um, But really, I think just because we are in the times that we're in, because we're still in a pandemic and there's so much going on, I really truly believe that these wellness skills um, need to be a priority for, for us, for our dancers, Um, I don't think there's any way that we are going to get out of, you know, the pandemic and life back to normal, quote unquote, without some sort of semblance of wellness skills. So I just want to encourage anybody who is listening or maybe has more questions, which are totally always welcome and understandable because this is a big topic, um, you know, to do your research, get on Google or talk to a friend, or of course, I'm always available if anybody wants to talk to me. But there's also lots of other educators who are starting, you know, we're starting to kind of like turn the turn the wheels on these conversations and bring these topics and strategies into our classes. So search, reach out to them, find them and educate yourself and ask yourself some of those critical, curious questions and be willing to listen to answers that you come up with. Cause they're going to point you in the right direction. I love that so
0: much intuition yeah. wrapped in today's episode. This has been really wonderful. Yeah.
1: thank you again for having (laughs) me yeah so we're going to ask you
0: yeah we're going to ask you a really quick uh, last question sort of our lightning round question that we ask all of our guests yeah it's just one question but um, if you could go back in time to your younger self as a dancer in school what advice would you give to yourself
2: ooh I would probably tell her that everything is going to turn out just fine, and there's no need to rush. Um, I think, you know, especially in in our current lives, everything is so busy, and especially young dancers, like, they're so hungry, right? and I was hungry too, like you want it to happen now and you feel like that progress is never happening fast enough or you're, you know, you are never going to get that audition. You're never going to get that role. Or you just like, you want things to happen so fast. And I just want to tell my younger self, like, cool your jets. Like it will, everything turns out (laughs) fine. You don't have to go a million miles an hour. Like it's okay. (laughs) That's
1: (laughs) That's so precious. (laughs) I love that. So, Katrina, before we sign off today, why don't you go ahead and plug any of your social media, website, any upcoming webinars, events, anything you've got
2: so that everyone knows where to find you? Yeah, lovely. So uh, the website is differentdrummerdance.com, all one word, all smushed together. Um, You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, The handle is at diffdrumdance, so it's D-I-F-F d-r-u-m d-a-n-c-e i hang out on instagram quite a lot um, so if anybody ever wants to come say hello or just check out more work that's a good place to check Um, as far as things that are coming up i i'm in the midst of kind of revamping some of my um, my courses online Um, so you can see you can find out more about the courses on the website Um, but they are kind of in the process of being updated. So the most kind of current thing that I've got going is the membership, which I know I mentioned a little bit earlier. That membership is called uh, Studio Zen. So it's a monthly membership for dance teachers and studio owners and even dancers themselves who are interested in these wellness topics. So every month I introduce a new wellness topic. It might be body kindness, it might be gratitude. We just wrapped up a, um, a month focused on nutrition where I brought in a guest expert Um, So you get a new wellness topic every month, you get a training video, um, you get a handbook from me with materials that help you put all of these tools into action, Um, and it's just a really lovely community as well where we can connect with like-minded, kind of holistically focused dance educators, and we can ask ideas of each other and look for support. Um, So it's a really, it's a really great community that I'm really proud, um, I'm really proud of, not only because I think the the information is important, but because it's just a really lovely group of people who are um, very focused on wellness and doing the absolute best for their students. Um, So the membership is actually closed right now. I only open um, enrollment up a few times a year, um, but I will be opening it up in the spring, probably in March or April. So if anybody is interested, um, again, you can go on the website. There's a little tab on my website where it'll give you all the information for studios then, but there is a wait list that folks can sign up for. So if that sounds like something Excellent. that you might be interested in in the future, you can add your name to the waitlist, and that way you'll get all of the updates and make sure that you can uh, join us when we- Awesome. You again. Guys, we will absolutely,
0: as always, put all of the links to all of those wonderful things down in the show notes so that you can easily access them. So- yeah. Got you covered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much again for chatting with us today and sharing all of your all of your wisdom and your real life stuff. Yes, and, oh, I'm so excited.
2: <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you again. This was a fun conversation. So thanks a, thank a lot for having me.
1: All right. Yes. Thank
2: you, Katrina. Have a great day. Thank we'll you. you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Oh my goodness, Sarah, how are you feeling about that? <laughs> I feel it so good. It was so amazing to
0: talk to her, especially as a studio owner. I was just soaking it all up.
1: Yes, absolutely. Oh, I can only imagine, um, I mean, the inspiration and the ideas for yeah. how to, you know, start to incorporate some of that. Um, oh, it was so, I I mean, this was kind of my second interaction with her. I had done the webinar, so mm-hmm. I had already like a touch of this, these kinds of things, but really picking her brain about... Um, kind of how she got started in all of this. I loved how she was saying, you know, when she was in those years of, and like coming to this realization that she needed these wellness tips, she was learning these things herself and basically realizing, oh, we really all need this. And we really do need to start incorporating this for our students and for our teachers. Like it's such a, there's such a hole currently in our dance Mm -hmm. culture that needs to be filled with these wellness tips. Um, And for her to, Address that that was a need and put on her cape and her armor and be like, okay, I'm gonna do it because I love that. <laughs> I'm gonna do it all by myself. It's one thing it's to fantastic. recognize that there's a need, but another thing to be like, okay, well, I'm gonna do something about it. Yeah, um, and I just think that's that's so empowering. Um, yeah. I mean, I found that so inspiring.
0: <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Um, for me, I think two things that were really powerful that really spoke to me. One was the nonverbal messaging around the studio. So mm-hmm. what artwork are you hanging? What does your yeah. dress code look like? How much flexibility are you giving your students while still maintaining that high aim for excellence? Uh-huh. Um, what, what kind of, of expectations are, are you putting out for your students to achieve that? Mm-hmm. But within those expectations, what kind of messaging is coming yeah. across to them? Yeah. yeah um, so yeah. that to me was really, really important. And I thought mm-hmm. um, she's doing a wonderful job. Um, even talking about like what magazines are in your waiting room. Yes. You know, yes. it doesn't all have to be the exact same publication. You know, the uh-huh. fact that she was a flamenco dancer. I mean, that was fantastic. But <laughs> op- opening up your students to other dance styles. Mm-hmm, so that messaging mm-hmm. piece, I think, was really important. Um, yeah, yeah. the other thing the other thing that I really resonated with me a lot was when she was talking about asking yourself questions about your environment and then answering them honestly, part one, but then part two doing something about it <laughs>
1: <laughs> sort of that what was. you were talking about, really yeah. I know
0: because a lot of times I think I know that I not my main school that I went to, but another school that I did go to that I've not really talked about before. I had a teacher that was, was very toxic and I was afraid of him. He was a very powerful dance teacher, you know, like Mm -hmm. had a name and came from a good pedigree, so to speak. And there was a lot of fear about speaking out about some of the practices in his class because it was like, oh, well, if you speak against him, then what's that going to do to your future kind of thing? Yeah. It's like I keep coming back to the thought of guys, if you are good enough to be in a high-level studio and you are working your butt off, yeah, that means you can be that wonderful student anywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be where you're at now. So asking those yeah. questions of yourself, am I safe? Mm-hmm. Am I being taken care of? Are my needs being met? And what's mm-hmm. the whole point of all of these restrictions right. or whatever it is? If you uh-huh. can answer those questions honestly and realize that mm, maybe it's not the best place for me, then mm-hmm. it's it's okay to give yourself permission to sort of look outside of that. And I thought that was really yeah, empowering. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. That giving permission, I think um it's so such a critical, weird piece that dancers develop for whatever reason. I'm not a psychologist, but I think like yeah. talking about just give yourself permission to open your eyes and look, look elsewhere. doesn't mean you have to, mm-hmm. in that same day you open your eyes, it doesn't mean you have to decide that you're going to change, but it's yeah. okay to look. Right. That first step of looking is okay. And then you're allowed yeah. to make your own decisions, but that, that permission is wild. So uh, I just loved all of that today. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. It was (laughs) so good. Uh, Well, thank you all so much for tuning in today. We really hope you enjoyed our episode today, guys. Um, If you did, we would be so, so, so grateful if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and share your podcast with your people to help us get the word out. And we might even read your review here on the episode. You never know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so, also, you guys, if you have any questions, particular topics you'd like us to cover, or guests you'd like to hear from, you can always email those to us at dancebetterpodcast at dancebetterpodcastgmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dancebetterpodcast.
1: Yes, and to catch us in our own lanes, you guys, you can follow me on Instagram at, at courtulrich. That's spelled C O U R T. U L R I C H to follow me on my own journey as a former dancer, pursuing intentional wellness as a 20 something wife and dog mom. And we can now connect on Facebook in strong, but struggling young women. You can find it directly on Facebook or the link is in my Instagram bio. We're talking all about how to level up your relationship with your body image, your emotional health and your self-worth. And you can follow me on Instagram at tech ballet. That's
0: T E C H B A L L E T. For more information on my virtual ballet programs where I integrate mindfulness work and injury prevention so that every dancer that steps into my class feels empowered to explore their movement with a whole body wellness approach in mind.
1: Thank you so much for listening today, guys. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, and we will catch you next time. Bye! Bye!